Amen. 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 Well, welcome 1030 years. Uh, glad that you're here. And um, I wanted to, first of all, say last week, if you didn't have the opportunity, we had our State of the Church address last week. And I thought the, both our congregation who had an opportunity to come up and speak and our pastoral team, I thought they did a great job. Don't you? Don't you? Did give you a better reflection? You know, obviously it wasn't as comprehensive as maybe an annual meeting would have been, but moving it to a Sunday, I felt like it, I felt like it was reasonably well balanced to give you an idea of kind of where we've been, where we anticipate that we're going. You know, it's always a very challenging kind of cutting edge thing to say, okay, this is the vision that God's given us and then not run ahead of him into presumption and also not get too far behind what he's saying, but not, so no, we don't want to lag behind what God's doing, but we also don't want to get ahead of what he's doing. And obviously, one of the issues last week that we discussed was a facility of our own at some point, knowing that this is not sustainable in the long term. I think we're probably a month or so away from, uh, we were pretty full at first service and here, so we could be here, but our growth would be capped, and maybe that's what the Lord wants, and that's, of course, fine with us, too. So we're trying to ascertain what direction he's taking us, how, how fast he wants us to get there, and I want you to know, and I said it last week, there will be no manipulation. We're not going to have any banquets where they've got table hosts and you've got a, people over, looking over your shoulder to see if you're making out a pledge for the building fund or anything like that. I'm not going to do it. It's not in my heart, and uh, we're just not going to do it. And so, but what I will do is give you a periodic update as to kind of what's going on. So, are you ready for this? Here's how we're going to handle this uh, over this season for the rest of the season. Um, again, one quick thing before I do that. One quick thing. You got to recognize that if we started today, it would be we're three years away before we would get into a facility if we if we end up building a facility. So this is not really presumption. We're already there. We're getting close to being filled into services. We'd love to do more here, but we just can't. You know, we, we have very strict parameters, and we don't have anywhere to meet during the week. So we don't, have a, we don't really have a presence in the valley. We're kind of a little bit nomadic now to some degree, which is okay, and it's certainly good for a season. So it's not presumption. Having said that, what, I, what I'd like to do over the next... Probably three weeks from now, I'm not going to belabor this point every week, but probably three weeks from now, I'm going to give you kind of an update as to where we are. Here's kind of how we see it unfolding. We would like potentially to get first things first, a piece of land. You know, somebody may give us a piece of land. I have no idea. Somebody might have a piece of land that's strategic. We're looking at a particular piece of land. Somebody may want to purchase it. I don't know. But if we were to get a piece of land, it would solve our intermediate, our intermediate problems, which is, well, what if three months from now or six months from now, University of California says, okay, you've had your run, this has been great, but you know, we're, this is not sustainable as it is. We could throw some gravel on a piece of ground if we had one and put up a permanent tent and we could actually be in there uh, and be in there in a very fairly short order period of time. And that would give us an intermediate. If we did get pushed out of here and then didn't, and I'd hate to say, you know, we might be at a place where we couldn't meet for a period of time. I don't know that, I don't think the Lord is going to do that, but that uh, is the case. So in three weeks, I'm going to give you an update as to kind of where we are. I'm going to kind of give you a running sense of where we are as it moves towards a piece of land. And uh, I will tell you this, I did have one couple approach me after last week and they said, we'd like to talk to you. And then uh, they, and they uh, obviously wanted to be anonymous and so I went and met with them, and the, it was a funny story because they, they were here last week, and we didn't talk much about this, but we were here, put up a few slides, and they got in, and uh, he was thinking, now, the Lord put a number in my mind of, of maybe what we should do, and then, and then the Lord put a number in her mind, and they were both conspiring, how am I going to convince my spouse that, that this is what maybe God wants us to give? And it turned out that she went through this whole thing. She went first, and she was doing all this persuasion and everything. And he's sitting there, is she trying to persuade me of what I'm gonna, about to try to persuade her for? And the Lord had spoken the exact same number to each one of them, and they wrote a check for a million dollars. So, yeah, isn't that a, it's a God thing. I mean, it really is a God thing. So, uh, and what first service did not know is that on, uh, on their way, uh, a couple on the way out also wanted to be anonymous this morning wanted to match it. So we are getting closer to a piece of dirt. And that's right, it's only, it's only God. 
So nobody knows that. By the way, uh, some of my team goes, I look at my team going, did he just say what I think he said? So look, I don't know what God's going to do. I'm perfectly content here. As I alluded to, you know, uh, if I was 30 or 35, you know, that maybe that I'd be thinking, oh, yeah, but I, I realize we're probably building for the generation beyond me. At 54 years old, how long can I do this? I don't know, but I mean, probably that, you know, there will be a place out in the future that we will sow, and then maybe the fruit will be even well beyond our years, and that's okay with me. That's okay with me. We do what God's called us to do in the time that he's called us to do it, with faithfulness, not worrying about the overall plan, because in some ways we are all on a need-to-know basis. We are. And there's a beauty in that. There is a profound beauty in that because it's always, if we knew everything, then there would never be a surprise. And one of the great things about following Jesus is that each time around the corner, even though he's given you the vision or somebody in your life, maybe you're praying for somebody right now or thinking about somebody and say, I just don't know how in the world this is ever going to happen. I can't see my way through this, but I trust you, Lord. And then all of a sudden, the suddenlies hit you and suddenly everything changes. Everything changes. Precious woman in the first service says, this is exactly what happened to me. My daughter was uh, struggling, struggling. I've been praying for her for years. Um, and she called me and told me that she was in recovery now. And last week, it was just overwhelming. You know, it's like the suddenly, I've been praying and praying and praying. And then, and God has, and I, li- I think God likes to do that in our future. Just around the corner, there's something else. And just around the corner, there's something else and something else and something else. But to get to those corners, you have to be faithful today. Do what he's called you to do. And if the church at the Red Door is a confluence of a lot of people coming together simultaneously, stewarding their lives in such a way that's unique and it's going to impact the valley, and as we said last week, maybe even beyond the valley, welcome live streamers and others. If that grows and that's something that God's going to do, then he's going to do that. And that'll be his glory in his time and in his way. No manipulation, no pushing. And that's what I want to talk to you a little bit more about this morning is this whole concept of manipulation and how we can get ahead or behind God. And we're going to do a character sketch of King David as it relates to the times and the seasons. There's no way to get into King David without really giving a juxtaposition with King Saul because King Saul was the predecessor to King David. If you don't know your Bible or you're fairly new to it, it's okay. David was living about a thousand years before the time of Jesus. Israel had come out of Egypt. Abraham, the promise was made to him about 2,000 years before Jesus. Moses comes along, uh, retrieves the people out from Egypt that had been enslaved for over 400 years. That was around 1,500 years before the time of Jesus. And then the kings began. Between that time, there were judges and prophets and things. And we're just getting to the end when Saul enters the picture. We're just getting to the end of the time of these prophets. Samuel was one of the prophets. He was the successor to Eli. Eli's sons uh, both really struggled. They were not godly men, and Israel was falling and flailing. And in fact, Samuel's, as he, as Samuel's, he got older, his sons were really not following the Lord, and they were walking in great sin, and Israel was in a real state of need. God wanted to be their God. In fact, God said, they've rejected me being king over them by requesting a king, but God gave them what they wanted, and he gave them King Saul. Let me talk to you just a little bit about King Saul. King Saul is everything that we should strive not to be. Not in the outward appearance, because he was a head taller than all the other men. He was was that tall, dark, and handsome guy that some of you gals always want. But let me tell you something. His insides were not directed towards the Lord. Saul operated, as we've seen here over the last year, very efficiently in the seen realm. That's what he looked at. He looked at the outward appearance. He did not have access to the unseen realm. And as we'll see in weeks to come, his life really concluded, if you can imagine, in the house of a witch at Endor. He was so desperately trying to connect with God that he actually ended in the occult, trying to conjure up the spirit of Samuel after he died. What a sad and tragic picture to what appeared to be a fairly wonderful beginning. But quickly it became apparent that King Saul was in fact going to struggle because he was not like David would be a man after God's own heart. 
So number two, Saul was impatient. He just didn't understand the times or the seasons. He was put in Israel's place. He could have had, and in fact it was said after he failed, that he, his kingdom could have endured forever and ever, and yet he failed. And we need to understand why. What was it about David versus King Saul, and how does that help us understand the times and the seasons in our own lives? Well, Saul was also, and this is the big point that we'll get to this morning, he was absolutely terrified of what people thought about him. Can I tell you that in my life, uh, we moved a lot as a kid. We moved, I figured out by the time I was in my senior year in college, not all these, some of these moves were within a city, but I had lived in 30 different places by the time I was about to graduate from college, including different colleges and different places within those cities and, and a lot of moving around. We lived in a bunch of different states. I was born in Denver, Colorado, actually, and then we went around, and I did a little Nebraska and Kansas, did a lot of mid, middle, Midwest when I was a little kid, and then Texas, different places in Texas. I think I've lived pretty much everywhere there is to live in Texas at some point or some time. And uh, so what, what you do is you learn to adapt or you die. In fact, you hear a lot of times about uh, people, actors and things, kind of people who are just really kind of out there and showy and all this. They moved around a lot because they had to learn the skills. They didn't have the same group of friends that they grew up with where they just kind of be themselves and they all knew each other since they were kids and they accepted one another. Every time you turn around, you got to go into a new school or a new place. Even my senior year in high school, I ended up having to move. And uh, it was tough, you know, you move in. And I mean, I, I, I look back now and I see God's preparation in my life. I really do. But it was tough. And so you learn to flatter and work your way in and figure out what everybody's thinking and how to make them like you. If you don't, you just, you shrivel away into obscurity. And so that was what was planted. So when I look at King Saul, I see a lot of the things that I would uh, struggled with before I came to Christ and then had to deal with after I came to Jesus to make sure that I wouldn't go down that path. So this is in some way a self-confession, if you like, this morning, and you can see if any of this applies to you. King Saul was, however, someone who simply did not trust God. You can say what you want. King Saul did not trust God, though he acted in profoundly religious ways. You can see the king life of Saul. And as we're going to see two of the stories this morning that are kind of indicative of his nature, he didn't have any problem being religious, but he was rebellious at heart, even though he would masquerade as someone who was religious. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been part, some, some of you maybe, who knows, maybe you've been part of a church split or you've been part of a bunch of nonsense in a church before. Look, no church is exempt from, un, uh, from people who are going to come in and divide. And, and there's just challenges. And some of you have been very burned, potentially, by a bad church experience. And I'm not suggesting that we, we're going to do everything we can here to create a culture of honor. We talk about it all the time. We deal with it the best we can. No church is perfect. But there are those places where it's just divisive and you, you had a bad experience and maybe you felt like, well, if that's God, I don't want anything to do with it. And you've stayed maybe away from organized religion for a long time. And let me tell you something. I, I, my tendency is that. My tendency is to say, you say, well, I can't believe you're saying that as the pastor of a church. How would you say that? Well, I almost don't even consider this church. I consider this family getting together and having a great time and learning about Jesus and doing mission. I don't really consider it, as we said last week, our primary task here, primary. It's not that we don't. It's just that our primary concern is not to provide religious services for religious people. Our primary task is get to know Jesus and then walk into the stewardship of our lives and whatever he's called us to do. In the fullness of that, now, we'll be, now we're being effective. But just having the, the old amen choir and everybody says amen does the same thing and nobody changes and, no, and nothing grows and people aren't coming to Christ. We had five people be baptized on Thursday night. I don't know if you had the chance to be there. It was awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. And, uh, and Pastor Paul and Greg, and we, we, we baptized these precious people and they came again that's got to be happening all the time and in fact last week we had uh, one precious woman who'd been she was she's already considered herself a believer but it was really hard and and uh and we were getting out of the pool and greg says hey jeff we usually ask at the last second does anybody maybe want to get baptized maybe you've seen this and you just say i want to do this 
And this woman came in fully clothed, jewelry on, everything. She just came wading down into that pool, tears running down her face. It was precious. Now, that is life, and I want to be part of that. Now, that's a living, active community, not just a church for the dying. We're not going to do that here. We're not going to be part of that. We don't want it, and, I don't, and you don't deserve that. You deserve to see life, even if you're maybe not a believer in Jesus yet. You deserve to see the kind of life that Jesus promised any community would have if they would give their lives to him. I realize it's an individual level, but it's also a collective level. So what it was it about Samuel? If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to 1 Samuel chapter 13. There are two very specific incidences that we see. He started, it looked pretty good. In fact, the Bible says that the Spirit came on him and he prophesied. It was kind of an odd thing uh, that happened to King Saul. And yet very quickly, his true character, his heart was revealed. His heart was revealed. 1 Samuel chapter 13. Let me set the stage for you so we don't have to read it all. The Philistines, along with the Amalekites and others, were always adversaries to the nation of Israel. Now, it's important for you to understand, everybody get this, I, I, some of you will have heard me say this many times, this was a pattern. You, people ask all the time, why Israel? What, what was, what's the purpose? Why is Israel God's chosen people? I don't even understand that. I always, I always say, you have to ask the question, chosen for what? You don't just say they're chosen people, like God loves them more than he loves the Gentiles. It's not that... They were chosen to be a template, if you will, to walk out in the physical realm what billions of others over the course of the last 2,000 years would be able to learn from their physical journey how we should walk in the spiritual realm. Let me give you an example. They came out of a literal Egypt. We come out of figurative Egypt. So when you go to Revelation, you see Babylon or Egypt or all these different kind of things. These are pictures of great secular places that weren't driven towards God. So they came out of a literal Egypt. They crossed a literal Red Sea. We don't cross a literal Red Sea, but we go through our baptism, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, which was like the Red Sea for us. So you, whether you know it or not, your first option in this whole Jesus thing is, do I even want to come out of the world that I live in? Then you go through your baptism, and then where do you go? Into the promised land. No, you go into the wilderness. And it's in the wilderness that God begins to break down the old ways you used to do, how you used to think about reality, and creating you, creating you his thoughts. You learn to walk with him. You learn to understand what it is to walk in the presence of God. You learn what God wants for your life. And eventually, and few make it out of the wilderness. See, I want us to be a church that has a high percentage of people that have made it through the wilderness, through their discipleship, and are now actually walking in the fullness of what God has called them to walk in. And that may mean some of us, I, will, I hope my kids already, I mean, my oldest daughter, I hope she walks in, I hope she, she's already kind of a missionary and she's going to Canada this year and then she's going training and all this. I hope we have people that are trained here and then some of you stay, please, some of you stay, and then some of you may even be called off into another part. Heart, and you were trained here and then you were released to go to walk out the fullness of your calling. It's powerful. And then eventually cross the Jordan. They took physical land from physical people. We don't take physical land from physical people. We take spiritual property and we take it away from powerful influences in the spirit realm. Paul said in his letter to the Ephesians, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Are you kidding me? You think we're going out? So if you see anybody under the guise of Christianity or anything to do with Jesus going out and killing somebody in the name of Jesus, you can say that has nothing to do with Jesus. I don't care what they claim. Our battle's not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, spiritual forces of wickedness in unseen or heavenly places. So when we're thinking about the valley, we realize there's a vast array of spiritual forces in this valley that keep people from even thinking about God. We live in a place of great idolatry here, things that take precedence over God. Why don't we have more churches here? Why don't we have more people talking about Jesus? Why don't we? Why? Because people aren't interested. They're too busy with other things. So when, they, when this happened to them, so when we read stories about the Philistines or the Amalekites or 
realize, read into that modern. How does that apply to me today? Do I really care about what happened thousands of years ago to some ancient tribe off in the middle of nowhere? No, it's a template for us to understand the battle we're engaged in today here, now, 21st century Southern California, Palm Springs, Coachella Valley, Palm Desert. This is where we are. This is very relevant to us. That's what Paul said in his letter to the Corinthians. He said, these things were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the age have come. This is important. So the Philistines, I think there were 30,000 chariots. There were 6,000 horsemen. They were all arrayed against Israel. They'd become, Israel had become onerous to them, and they were going to say, we're going to wipe this out. We're going to wipe this little nation out. Saul, uh, King Saul had gathered at Gilgal, and uh, here's what happened. Samuel had said, I want you to go, and I want you to wait seven days, and then I'll be there. Don't, don't offer any sacrifices. I don't even, we don't know that he told him that. I think that would be logical. Kings didn't offer sacrifices. They didn't take the priestly job, or they didn't take the prophetic role. Only Jesus would fill all those roles, king, prophet, priest. There were very clear lines of delineation on what you could do and couldn't do. Well, Saul got, Saul got antsy about it, and he sacrificed because he began to look around and go, oh my gosh, I better do it. Look, do you ever realize there's a tediousness in waiting? When you're talking about so, so, seasons and times, some of you in here have been waiting for something for years, years, maybe a spouse, maybe something to finally turn in your finances, maybe maybe. Who knows what it is, but you wait and you wait. If my spouse only knew how I felt and you wait and you wait, isn't there a tediousness in waiting? You want to get ahead of God. You want to, and a lot of us here in this valley, you, many of you, business people, successful business people, and, you know, you just say, hey, we take it, make a decision. I'm known for making a decision. Yeah, if, even if you make a wrong decision, you go, and you just push forward, and you, you do it, and you get it done. And, and we bring that into the church. We are, we have to be very cautious to bring that kind of an attitude into the church because much of following Jesus is waiting. You know why? Because it doesn't, God doesn't have to wait. He's not subject to time and space. The psalmist said it. One day is a thousand years to God. Peter repeats it in his letters. A thousand days is like one day. It doesn't matter. God's not subject to time and space. God, is, God will wait on you to walk into what he's called you to do next until you die. He'll provoke and prompt, but he will never usurp your, your, your decision-making ability. Look, God is waiting on us, and oftentimes we have to wait on God. Saul was not going to have any of it. So Samuel shows up on the scene on the seventh day right after he finally acquiesced with his own inability to wait, not understanding the times and the seasons. And Samuel shows up, and listen to what he says in verse 11, 1 Samuel 13, 11. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, now listen to all that. Man, we're going to talk about justification. We're going to talk about all kinds of blame shifting. It's just incredible what he says. He says, because I saw that the people were scattering from me. Do you see that concern about what other people were thinking? Maybe God calls you to do something, and you know if you do that, people are going to scatter from you. Public opinion will not be with you. Do you still do it? He says, and, and I also recognize that you didn't come within the appointed days. Blame shifting. He says, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. Therefore, I said, well, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not asked the favor of the Lord. Now he's going to turn to religion to back himself up. You realize religion is a great hiding place. It's such a wonderful hiding place. He says, so, and listen to this. He says, so I forced myself, and I offered burnt offerings. Now he actually becomes a martyr in his religious fervor. Blame shift, justify. I mean, do you see what's going on? 
Samuel's response, just like God, can, do you really think you'll stand before God one day and God will say, okay, what's the story on, you know, Jeff Granford? And somebody stands there and, and the books are open, as the Bible says, and, and he begins to read. And I go, no, 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 wait, 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 God, let me, let me redo that and I'll show you. Do you really think that you, you'll have that capacity? I'll be on, on the ground with my face down, probably incapable of speaking if it's anything like Isaiah. Isaiah got into the very presence of God and he couldn't even speak. He fell to his knees. Same with John in the book of Revelation. They all fall to their knees. Do you really think that you're going to have some, you know, good old boy just because you can persuade people and you're a great salesman in your life? You're going to pat God on the back and say, well, let me really explain this all out to you. God will come with the force of truth and that no, not one voice will rise in for you unless it's Jesus. I want to know Jesus. Listen to what Samuel says. He says, now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. It was done. And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Wow. That must have been devastating words. Or was Saul even able to hear those words? Can I tell you, Jesus talked about it like this. Some have eyes to see and ears to hear, and other people will sit through even a message like this, and they will already be thinking about the golf tournament or this or what time lunch is, or they simply don't have eyes to see or ears to hear. Saul, even though he just said, your kingdom's going to be taken away, we get into the next situation. In other words, he was an addict Saul was an absolute addict, an addict to what? To the opinions of man rather than caring or being concerned about the opinions of God. Psalm chapter 29 verse 25 says, The fear of man brings a snare, but, catch this, he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. Do you see that proverbial couplet there? I mean, so you've got the fear of man. In other words, I, I'm living over here in the scene realm, and I fear, oh, she said this, and he said that, and what if we do this? And, and you're just trying to get all this public opinion. You know, I sit with the executive team all the time, and obviously we get a lot of feedback on Church at the Red Door, and I, I appreciate feedback. I'm, not a, I'm certainly not above it. D don't get me wrong. But, you know, at certain point, you have to say, okay, what, what has God called us to do? And it's not going to be able to please everybody. It's just, it's just the way it is. And if you're, if you're trying to be always concerned about public opinion, you will drive yourself crazy, crazy. What is God telling you to do? And then just do it. But Saul didn't understand that. He didn't understand that. Saul was, without any question, addicted to what people thought. I can tell you right now, I was addicted for many years to what people thought of Jeff Cranford. I was a name dropper. I'm not proud of it. Uh, I was a, and it's not that I'm completely over it, but I'll just tell you, I was good at this, right? <laughs> and uh, I get around you and flatter you and manipulate you and work you, and then you'd like me, and then I'd get what I wanted, and I didn't care anything about you. I'm not proud of that at all. That was my fallen nature. Saul, there was a lot of Saul in me, and it's taken many years. I am so thankful. I am so thankful in so many ways that I was such a failure <laughs> in so many things. I'm thankful that I didn't fail. I, I, I didn't like telling you that story a couple of weeks ago on the BMW tournament. If you didn't, you have to go back and listen to it. I'm not telling it again. So, um, <laughs> you know, those aren't, I'm not proud of that, but, you know, it just is what it is, and I feel such a freedom in saying, this is who I am, but this is also who I'm not, and it's okay. I just want to obey God, and when we obey God, we walk in such blessing. It's profound, and it's liberating. It's hard to be an addict. It's hard to be an addict. I'm going to take you to another story, 1 Samuel chapter 15. This is... Just again, a picture and even a more stark picture of what is said. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Give you a chance to turn there so I can give myself a chance to turn there. Let's start here. Uh, this is a little bit different story, but not very similar in some ways. Now they were uh, surrounded by 
the, they weren't surrounded, but they were in battle with the Amalekites, and God had very specifically told them to go out and don't leave anything left. And now some of you say that's genocide. They say that's why I don't read the Bible. It's full of ancient horrific stories. Please understand, do you remember, this was written for our instruction. They were taking physical land from a physical people at a physical time. There was, I, I've got a lot of other reasons why this was the case. God loves children. God loves animals. God loves all that. Trust me, he does. But there is judgment in time, and he allowed that to happen during the course of Israel's history as instruction for us. Do you understand? So when he's telling them, well, what would I draw out of this? If God says, go in, and these Amalekites are set against God's plan. You've got to realize if the Amalekites had their way, they would have wiped out all of Israel. And if all of Israel had been wiped out, can I just tell you, there would be no Jesus. And if there's no Jesus, then what are we doing here? This is a waste of time. The Amalekites had set themselves up against the plans of God, and God had long suffered with many of these ancient Semitic tribes that were wandering the deserts and had wanted them to come to repentance, and yet there was child sacrifice and there was brutality, and he had to nip it in the bud. Okay, that's all. But see, for us, we don't do that anymore. We're not called to take a physical people ever again, never. We're under new covenant. And those who persecute you, persecute you and persecute us and hate us, we're called to love them and pray for them and serve them, not kill them. But in this place and this time, it was instruction for us. So wipe out the Amalekites. And guess what? King Saul did. Ah, I think I'll do it my way. I'll leave some of the good stuff behind. And then, and then what we'll do is we'll take it and then we'll actually sacrifice it to the Lord. See, religious, a religious picture and yet disobedience to the call of God. So you can say, well, you know, I like doing this. I, I tell you right now, and I told first service this, I don't care if you got $20 million and you're going to come up and tell me, we're going to give you $20 million, but deep down I find out what you're really trying to do is sacrifice to the Lord because you're in an adulterous affair or because you got to, and you're trying to make it up to the Lord to, uh, to, to, to mask in some way your disobedience. I don't want your money. You can take your money. I want you to know Jesus. I want you to walk in obedience. And then maybe I'll, no, I won't even say that. But anyway, you get the point. <laughs> Look, you don't, you don't do that. You don't sacrifice to God. You obey God. And then be, once you're part of his family, then you can sacrifice all you want to make him famous. But you're doing it because you're part of the family, not to be part of the family. That's a big, important distinction to make. Well, listen to what he says. Let's start here in verse 22. So he had already sacrificed, and he was being all religious, but he just had been disobedient. And Samuel comes along again. Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Yeah, but I do this and this and this. I do this at my church, and I park cars. And he said, I don't care about that. I want you to obey me. Get out of that affair. Quit having those thoughts. I'll help you with this. Confess your sin. Do you know, get right with me. Don't sit out there and sacrifice hoping that you're going to make me happy. I want you to obey me because I want you to live. Listen to what he says now. He says, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed better than the fat of rams. Now, this is powerful. Verse 23, listen to me. The, for rebellion is as the sin of divination, and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because, Saul, you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. Now, let me go into this for a second. What he just said is he said, this idea of rebellion, it's like divination. Now, that may, may not mean much to you. It's like witchcraft. For them, it was, we need to know what the future is. Whatever way I can divine, that's where we give divination, I want to divine the future. I want to know what's going on. So uh, I don't need God. I'm not going to ask God what he wants me to do or trust God with my future. i got to figure everything out. And so, and it's still, the cult is around today, very much so, uh, you know, Ouija boards, astrology, seances, all this kind of stuff, it's all over the place. And trust me, I've lived in Aspen, I've lived in places, you think very intelligent people never get involved in that, it's a big business up there. You can't believe how many people have little spiritual gurus, tell me the future, all this kind of stuff. But rebellion or manipulation, because manip re rebellion really is manipulation at its core. You say, okay, God, I know you told me to do this, but... I do a little dance, I'm going to kind of get around you over here, and then I'm going to come over here, and I'm going to make this happen, and then I'll make it look religious. But in the end, I'm really doing what I want to do when I want to do it. 
He said, that's just like divination. There's no difference in that. Insubordination is just idolatry. You're going to get what you're going to get, how you want it, when you want it. You're going to go down that road rather than do what I've just simply asked you to do. And I don't want your sacrifices. I want your obedience. Why? Because I have a path for you that's so powerful that if you'll obey me, I can trust you with more. And as you obey me there, I'll trust you with more. And as you obey me there, but you've got to be proven. And I can't do it unless you're tested. I still love you, but look, you are going to lose the stewardship of your life. King Saul lost everything. Why? Because he simply was unwilling to obey the voice of the God at the moment that God had called him. And he always had a justification. He always had a reason. At the end of the day, look, you're going to stand or fall before God. Each one of us will stand and give an account. I don't care whether you're 10 years old here today. I tell my daughters the same thing. I'm not, I, I, look, you're not gonna, you're not, I'm not going to judge you one day. Jesus is going to judge you. And he's going to do it in love and he's going to do it in compassion. But you have a stewardship of your life. You can walk into the fullness of it. You can get half of it. And even Jesus said that. Some ground produces 30-fold. Some ground produces 60-fold. Some ground, it gets the word, and it produces a hundredfold. And John 15, Jesus was clear. Your heavenly Father desires that you bear much fruit. He really does. Well, listen to, listen to what an addict Sam, uh, Saul was. Verse 24, and Saul said to Samuel, this sounds good. It really does. He's got, wow, I think Saul got the, got the message. Listen, he goes, I have sinned. He says, I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and I listened to their voice. So you can see he's an addict to the opinions of men. He, so Saul, that's right. You've confessed your sin. You got it. Oh, this is wonderful. What a day. Maybe God will relent. And even though he said he wouldn't change his mind, maybe he will and he'll come back and give you your kingdom. But nothing had changed in Saul's heart. Listen to what he says. He says, that, now therefore, Samuel, please pardon my sin. And return with me that I may worship the Lord. He says, I won't return with you. You've been rejected, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned to go, Saul seized the edge of his robe, that's what addicts do, and it tore, desperate. His, old, his very identity was wrapped up. Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not... Uh, will not change his mind or lie. He's not a man that he should change his mind. And he said, I have sinned. Okay, all right, I get it, I get it. I have sinned. But listen, but please honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and go back with me that I may worship the Lord your God. He's just so addicted. I'll tell you anything to get one more hit. I've sinned, you're right, I care more about the people, forgive me, forgive me. Now, will you please go with me so, I, so the people won't think that I'm out with God and then you're back in and that everything's fine? You see that? He's so addicted he can't even see. He's confessing and all this. And then it's like, and it, would you please honor me But when we go back before all these people? Saul, Saul, what's going on, man? It breaks my heart when I see this, and yet it's... So true in the human experience. We get addicted to something and say, if the Lord takes this away, I'll die. Well, if there's anything in your life that you feel like if the Lord took it away, you would die, then you have an idol. I know that's hard to hear, but if there's anything in your life other than Jesus himself and your, and your relationship with him, the Lord doesn't want you to have anything in your life that usurps your relationship with him. Nothing. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, God reproves Samuel. You know why? He said, look, Samuel, you need to quit grieving over Saul. The time and the season is over. I'm doing new things now. Some of you can get caught in the past and get sucked into the vortex of the past and are, and the Lord may be saying to you, even this morning, look, it's time to quit grieving. I have plans for your life. I'm not done with you. If I'd have been done with you, I'd have taken you or I'd have moved you or something, whatever it is. Sometimes seasons come to an end. It's what we saw two weeks ago, wasn't it? There's a time to plan and there's a time to uproot what has been planted. And God is sovereign and you've got to trust him and you have to move forward. When the season is over, move forward, move out of it. Because if you don't and you stay in an old dead season, you'll never experience the new season and you may sacrifice the very stewardship of your life or a part of it. God wants you to be fruitful.
Who is it that God chooses? As we begin to wrap this up, who is it that God chooses? God chooses the obscure. He really does. I mean, he, he, he normally, he, we see pictures and, uh, and, and characters, sketches through the scripture. Certainly, we see kings. But you know what? We also see harlots and tax collectors and people of ill repute and all that. And so that gave me great hope. Truly, it did. When I come to this and I'm going, could these stories be true? And I know first service we have a, a lot. And I wasn't pointing anybody out. I love these guys and they know it. But, you know, the guys at the rescue mission, you know, they've gotten themselves in a, a, quite a predicament, some of them, you know. And they love churches. We, I don't know if you know, but the first service is we packed with Coachella Valley Rescue guys. They come, they service. They, and I said, if these stories weren't in the Bible and I thought that God only picked people who had, you know, big seminary educations and graduated from big schools and drove fancy cars and, you know, blah, 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 blah. I said, if I thought that was the only people that God used, you guys wouldn't have maybe much hope. And yet, when I look at the pages of Scripture, I go, God looks for, in some cases, the obscure. He looks for it. Why? As we'll see. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For consider your calling, my brothers, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things, boy, can I raise my hand, of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, but there's purpose in this. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are. Why? Next verse. Here's why. So that no man may go around bragging as if he did it himself. This is kind of the doxological finish Paul has in Romans chapter 11, too. You know, like I gave all this to Israel, and they missed the Messiah for the most part. The Gentiles over here, they're, man, they're worshiping everything. They're worshiping the, the, the rocks and the sun and the trees. They have no idea what's going on. These Gentiles are completely without light. And they found the very thing that they weren't even looking for, which was Jesus. Paul then says, why did God do this? To shut up everybody in disobedience so that nobody can brag. What do you really have to brag about here this morning? Well, I pursued Jesus and I, did, I took all these courses and I finally came to the conclusion based on... Or did God just intervene in your life and say, show up and go, I'm Jesus, worship me, and gave you faith enough to believe, and now your life's getting better? That's what happened to me. That's usually what it is. He chooses the weak and the worthless. Now, does that mean he can't choose kings? No, but don't, don't underestimate that God loves the obscure so that he gets the glory. Why? Because he has a big ego? No, that, so that when he gets the glory, we all benefit. When, when any spotlight goes to a man or a woman, we can't handle I, None of us were built to be worshipped. We were built to worship. He can handle it. None of us can. Secondly, 2 Chronicles 16, 9, God's eyes look to and fro throughout the entire cosmos, all the world. He's looking for those whose hearts are fully his so that he may come in and strongly support them. It's a hard thing. It was with David, and David had already been chosen. So, in summary here and in closing, I just want to talk to you just briefly about this issue of David, okay? In these last, these last five to ten minutes we have here, think about this for a second. The suddenlies of God are unbelievable. I was going along, and then suddenly God showed up in my life. <laughs> I didn't even, I wasn't even looking for him. It was unbelievable. I was on a train. As it happened with me, I was in a Safeway store. It was a, actually a good name for a store because that's where I... And a, a guy showed up and, 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 and we started talking and I will forever say he was the man. My mother prayed me in and other people had had an impact, don't get me wrong, but he was the guy that really was instrumental in leading me to the Lord. I met him in a supermarket. It, was, it happened suddenly. Suddenly's happened. Let me tell you something. Think about this for a second. King David, now think about this. So... God reproves in 1 Samuel 16, 1. God reproves Samuel. He says, Samuel, quit grieving over Saul. It's over. Leave this season. Now what I want you to do is I want you to go, and there's a Bethlehemite, and his name is Jesse, and he has a bunch of sons, and I want you to go to his house. Saul's immediate re I mean, excuse me, Samuel's immediate reaction was, I can't do that. Saul will find me and kill me if he finds out. And he says, well, you go under the guise of you're going to go and there's going to be a sacrifice and you're going to go. And so you're going to go here and you're going to go see Jesse. And I'll, don't worry about that. By the way, why would we argue with God? Now, I'm not going to do that because it's dangerous. 
And God goes, oh, I guess you're right. Well, all right, well, then maybe you shouldn't go. I mean, it, it is kind of strange, but we do have those conversations with God, don't we? He says, go. So anyway, he was gracious enough, and he says, all right, do it in this way. So he shows up at Jesse's house, and Jesse said, gather all your sons. And so he did, almost. He gathered seven of his sons, Eliab and Shammah, and all this. Who are these guys? Did they come? And they're, boy, they're kind of good-looking guys. And so the Lord goes with Samuel, and he goes, okay, first guy. And he looks, and he's like, surely this is the guy. And the Lord says, no, that's not the guy. And he went down to each son. No. Uh, well, this guy said, no, that's not him. No, no, no. And finally Samuel's like, well, Lord, you, you're the one who told me to come here. So he turns around. He says, are you sure you don't have any other sons anywhere? Is David in obscurity now? He wouldn't even make the lineup of, uh, these are my sons? I mean, really? That's pretty obscure. And Jesse's, well, well, you know, there's David. He's out with a sheep. I mean, well, all right, all right. Listen to what it says, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. He, he was looking at one of Jesse's sons. For God sees not as a man sees. That should both encourage some of you and terrify some of you. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Do you get that? The Lord looks at the heart. Samuel said to Jesse, are these all your children? And he said, well, there's the youngest. And behold, he's tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, and this is one of the most profound scriptures. I love this scripture. I absolutely love this. It gets this, send and bring him. But the second part of this, we will not even sit down until he comes. See, the world in the scene room, David, he's, brah, brah. hey, David, what are you doing? Well, I'm just cleaning up some stuff here. I got on my shoe, you know. I mean, David, David, you know, but he's worshiping God. He has a heart that the Lord sees. He has a heart that wants to serve God, that doesn't care. He's, a, he's the youngest. He didn't get invited. I, he probably wouldn't even have been offended. Over here in the scene realm, oh, this is what's going on. Well, this is our guys, and this is, this is his resume, and blah, 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 blah. And God's saying, no, I'm looking at that guy. I'm looking at that guy. When that moment hits, nobody, Samuel's like, this is sacred. See, when God calls you into your, to a calling or a, sh a shift in transition of season, he's like, don't even, don't even sit down. There's an immediacy to it that's not a long practice. The long part is the waiting and the preparation and the waiting and the preparation. And people who think, well, I'll get in here and I'll make friends and we'll kind of do and rub elbows and I'll do, I'll do networking and all that kind of doesn't, God doesn't go for that in the kingdom. Networking doesn't work in the kingdom. Let me just say, it doesn't work. Do what God tells you to do. Serve the people God tells you to serve. Love the people God tells you to love. And at the right time, when, after you've humbled yourself, been able to walk through the tedious nature of waiting, which is part of what creates Christ-like character in you, all of a sudden he'll go, all right, nobody sit until she gets what I've appointed for her. You get that? That is so powerful. It's life transforming. It should be encouraging for you people who feel in obscurity but that God is preparing you. It should caution you who are trying to network and work your way up and make everybody notice who you are. Don't do that. Switch. And boy, when it happened, it happened. Can you imagine what must have gone on in David's heart? He is walking in smelling like the herd. And he gets in, and here's, is that Samuel? You've got to be kidding me. He, what's he doing in our house? That is the great Samuel, the, the leader of Israel. Because remember, they, he was the leader before the king, you know. He said, this is the great leader. This is the great prophet. What is he doing? And Samuel walks all over. How do you even set this story up? And begins to anoint him king? Really? That grabs me, man. And when I used to read stories like that, see, and what we'll see in weeks to come is that David would go through what happened after he was anointed king? Right back out with the sheep. 
Now, God set in motion certain things that he couldn't possibly know. There were things happening upstream. Look, the way, you know how I know whether or not we're in concert with the Lord is that when I start seeing things that have happened upstream two, three, five, ten years prior, and all of a sudden they coalesce around a suddenly, and, and you go, okay, God is in this. So like I said, I, I'm, am I going to press you for a building? No. Is this a, is this a topic about the building? Absolutely not. To be honest with you, I, I really am so not invested, whether we do or don't, I do believe it's the Lord's call for us to have a place of presence in the valley, a seat at the table, if you will. Do I know that for sure? I don't know that. But I will watch, and if God continues to show up, I would have to say, kind of a nice start. One week, announce, two seven-figure gifts. I mean, I have to say, okay, Lord, back off. This is sacred moments. I don't know. What are you going to do? And if it's not... I'll, I'll, heck, I'll give them their money back, and we'll we'll just we'll just press on, and we'll we'll be here. And if the Lord calls us, and I, I have no idea, you know what? That's okay. That's okay. We have to again find the razor's edge. Is the Lord calling us here? Is the Lord calling us here? We, but the seasons and the times, Saul couldn't discern it. David could. He went right back to tending the sheep. Then immediately before he knew it, through a strange series of events, God sent an evil spirit. Well, I'm getting into next week. <laughs> God sent an evil spirit, and uh, only David was the answer. And David finds himself in the king's palace virtually overnight. But then it would cycle back and then cycle up and cycle back. Do you see that? When God's preparing you, it's not linear. In his, in our, it just feels like this. Okay, God, boy, you're just doing amazing things, and I'm so excited. And then it goes back here. It's like, Lord, I thought we were up here, and now we're back down here. I've got more preparation, more prep. But each time, do you see you get a little more of the picture of what God is doing? And then he prepares you some more. And then you get a little more picture, and then he prepares you some more. And he gets a little more picture, and he prepares you some more. Now you're discerning the times and the seasons with the knowledge of what Israel should do, just like the tribe of Issachar. Only in this case, it's not the knowledge of what Israel should do. It's the knowledge of what you should do, what this church should do, what this country should do, and your role in it. What a beautiful kingdom. How could you not? Is Christianity boring? Give me a break. It's the most exciting life-giving thing possible. So I want us to listen to this worship song. When I pick all the songs, always listen to the words. There's a message in the words. No song is just picked just out of random. Are you prepared, whatever comes, that God's rooting you into his love? He's building you up. He's, even if you're in the valley or up on the mountain, it's kind of at a certain point in your maturity. It doesn't matter where you are because you're with him. These are dark times. Why are you so happy? Because I'm with Jesus in the valley. These are wonderful times. Why are you so happy? Because Jesus is on the mountains and he's in the valleys. And he's preparing me through all the cycles. Whatever comes, and then we'll close in prayer.